0: My, 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 doesn't time fly when you're all having fun? I'm Gary Mack and... Uh, I'm Greg T. Ross. I'm going to ask you what the T's for.
1: Um, it brings to mind the name is Thorsby. 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 So it's um, a bit posh. Isn't it? Yeah, well, some mates just call me Thorza. <laughs> hey, Thorser, can you come over here with the uh, place in badminton, please? Or something like that. And um, No, but um, you know how you give your name when you go to have coffee. They say, that what's the name going to be? You say Greg or Gary or something. I'm thinking of changes, saying Thorza.
0: Thorza, yes. Well, there'd be no one else around when they call your name, especially if there were 7,500 people waiting for a coffee. That's right. We were going to change
1: the name when we were kids because we were embarrassed by it, but then we grew up and realised that it was a bit different, so it's a bit of fun.
0: Now, aren't you glad that I asked that, everyone? You could have knocked me over with a (coughs) feather or two. I'll be walking
1: down the street and I'll hear a voice from the
0: other side saying, G'day, Thorza. Well, if you don't mind, Gary Mac, I love your work Yeah, well, I get Gazza I I also get G-Mac Which is something that I I don't mind, actually Uh, That started with a friend of mine That I was doing a lot of voiceover work for Through his video production company Right and uh, he would always call me, G'day, G-Mac, I've got another script for you. And so G-Mac is something that's kind of stuck. I like G-Mac. Yeah, I don't mind thorsy either. <laughs> well, absolutely. Okay. Welcome to the
1: Last Post Radio Show with g
0: and Thorza. It- yeah. Yeah, uh, okie dokie uh, Now, episode three is a couple of very good interviews That you've already pre-recorded Give me the lowdown
1: Certainly will, Gary And listeners, I um, had the honour of interviewing And getting to know Charissa Pearce uh, A couple of years ago when we ran Charissa As part of our Inspirational Australian Women series, Gary And uh, Charissa's full of enthusiasm and passion uh, For bettering the lives of veterans She's got an impressive military career, which began at the age of 21, where she was involved in three deployments to Timor-Leste, and it spanned over 21 years, um, retiring as second-in-command at the Royal Military College. As the fifth generation to serve in her family, daughter of a Vietnam vet, and with a currently serving partner, Cherisa is well informed on the issues facing the veteran community and their families. Following her discharge in 2015, Sharissa joined the Currumbin Palm Beach RSL up in Queensland and has gone on to become a a board member of the sub-branch there. When asked why she joined, she said there are so many benefits from reconnecting with other service members by getting involved with the different programs on offer. In mid-2021, RSL Australia invited Sharissa to become their national ambassador, alongside of course, Pete Rutland. RSL Australia's CEO, Phil Winter, said that Sharissa uh, stood out as a role model with her hard work ethic, genuine interest in helping veterans, and uh, great communication skills, which she has. She's, she's wonderful. Uh, and she, she does have great communication skills. Gary, too, talks passionately about her, her fondness for surfing, too. Her dedication as a mother of two daughters is something wonderful in her involvement in local sport noting, of course, as mentioned, the surfing, her leadership of the fluoro surfing community around Currumbin. It's just terrific. As a volunteer national ambassador uh, to the RSL, uh, Charissa works with uh, communities to inspire younger members to join the league, liaises with other ex-serving organisations and seeks a broader perspective on veterans' issues. We spoke recently and uh, I asked Charissa, who's known as CJ, what it is that drives her.
2: Well, I suppose it's my passion for making sure veterans are, are being looked after and are, in, are living the best life that they possibly can. So if I can get out there and be an advocate for those people, as well as having the platform uh, to share their stories, well, that's a win-win for me.
1: Your career, um, I guess it began over 20 years ago. You had three deployments to Timor-Leste. How, how did that affect your attitude towards serving and, and what was that like?
2: Well, when I joined up, I joined up in mid '94. Actually, three days before I turned twenty-one, so I didn't have your your average twenty-first uh, birthday with a big party and a few drinks. It was a quite quite a different experience. Um, and when I joined up, we were in a peacetime army, so for me, I never thought that I could deploy or uh, do anything like that. But I came from a military background, so it just seemed like a really normal progression for me. Having my brother, my younger brother, join at sixteen. Both my mum and dad had served in the army uh, and my grandfather was a Navy man and then you know, great grandparents had also served. So it seemed like a logical thing to do. And my younger brother, he was he was doing such amazing, interesting things as an 18 year old. And here I was tw- only 20 and I was a legal secretary at the time doing the same thing day and out. And I just thought, you know what? I need a bit of adventure. venture. I, I don't want that boring nine to five job. I want to be able to mix up, do different things, meet different people, live in different places. So that's why I joined. Um, I graduated in December '95, and I initially went to Medical Corps, but after 18 months I transferred to uh, Corps of Transport and, uh, yeah, had a great career after that. I was fortunate enough to go to East Timor in 99 when things first kicked off with the 5th wow. Aviation Regiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, nice. So they had been there for about a month before I got there. So that was, that was interesting, and then I went back Seven months later, uh, and spent another six months over there. And by that stage, things had come down a little bit, and the UN had sort of um, taken over. So that was a different, a different job in itself. Uh, I was a transport troop commander and uh, had seventy-five soldiers who had, whose job basically was to take all the logistics, ammunition, food. Uh, fuel all across the islands, which which was great, you know. So we got to see a whole whole lot of East Timor. Um, so that was that was a, a fabulous trip. I worked with some amazing people there, and also we had different countries who would come and protect us, like the Brazilian MPs would always escort us down to the border and whatnot. So uh, yeah, that was really good. And uh, then thought that would be the end of my deployments, but I went back in two thousand and six for another six months,
3: wow. and
2: uh, was the J14, which is basically personnel logistics for the for the force and and again I think that would probably when I look at all three of them where I learned a lot and had a lot of growth and actually you know we were over there when um I suppose they called it the bumble in the jungle the people uh, the papers were, were doing um in that early 2007 uh and that was probably when I saw you know all the training that these people were doing and you know amazingly coming together but working very hard and yeah it was it was I got to see a lot more than what you do obviously when you're a lieutenant and a captain but being on the headquarters and working again with different people and different agencies so yeah and, then, and that deployment I had left a two-year-old and three-year-old home for six months as well so that was uh, added another element to it.
3: <laughs> but
2: I, think, I think I think it's easier leaving them when they're little rather than when they're older.
1: <laughs> yeah, I reckon I reckon you might be right. And of course, uh, playing a role in a very important time in not only the region's history but obviously with Timor Leste and Australia, and the conflict that uh, attracted so much attention at the time. I suppose because it was so yeah. close to Australia. You retired as what was it second in command? I think at the Royal Military College.
2: Yeah, it was. I was Really excited to receive that posting. Just sort of, I knew I was um, on my way out at that stage. I was medically discharged, and to go back and book in my career of where it started was was uh, to me a really awesome opportunity. Um, and also, uh, just seeing these young people coming through the college and seeing what they are like. You know, changing 18 months later, you couldn't quite. You always sort of reflected on your own journey when you went through there, and you know, things hadn't changed all that much. Yeah, it, it was it was a fascinating job. I loved every minute of it. Just to mentor the the young cadets and seeing them grow was definitely a, a huge career highlight.
1: Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And of course, yeah, when we look back during periods of our life and we see younger versions of ourselves perhaps coming through, it, uh, it's a moment of pausing and reflecting as to the journey you've been on yourself. Um, discharged in 2015, is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's right, yes.
1: And you joined the Corrumban Palm Beach RSL and um, you become a board member of the sub-branch. What, what actually does that involve for you there and what, what are the benefits of being a board member?
2: Well, I I am so proud to be a part of uh, that sub-branch. Corrumban Palm Beach are very progressive and um, they have a very proud history and our dawn service is the one that's televised by Sunrise each year by NDAQ Day, which um, I've been a part of the last few years. But... They, they have listened. That sub-branch, for me, I wasn't a board member. I've only been a board member for about two years. And I had a conversation with the vice president um, probably three years ago. And he said, I had all these ideas. And he said, well, why don't you come on the board? And I said, well, I can't. You hold them on a Friday afternoon. Uh, I work then. I can't, you know, just take off. And I said, well, when you have them on a Saturday, I'll come. And so I got a phone call six months later and they said, we've moved it to a Saturday. Um, so are you going to come and put your hand up? Yeah, so I did and I joined this uh, amazing board of people who just want to do good things for veterans and provide excellent opportunities to ease the transition into uh, civilian life and we have many, many programs operating and so we meet on a monthly basis. Uh, We obviously, like I said, we have the dawn service. Yesterday we um, commemorated Vietnam Veterans Day where we had a beautiful service. We had a uh, a Huey helicopter come flying down oh. the creek um, yeah. during the service, which was amazing. And I got to interview a soldier who was wounded over in Vietnam and he shared with us his story. And then I had the pleasure of meeting Dasha Wheatley, BC winner, uh, his widow and his son. And I spent the afternoon talking to them and learning about their experiences when uh, they lost their husband and father. And to be able to give them that opportunity to hear history firsthand you know, I just felt so fortunate and I now have that little bit of history that I wouldn't have got if I wasn't a board member. Yeah. Um, and I just get to keep meeting these inspiring people that tell me a story and I say, well, you know, what can, what would you do differently now or what have you learned? And I get to take that information then back and hopefully we don't repeat the same mistakes.
1: Yeah, well said. And that's very important too when you're um, learning from people or when you're meeting people who are actually effectively part of history and then you absorb that into yourself and it becomes part of your learning process in life too. In 2021, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, RSL Australia invited you to become, what, national ambassador, I think, with Pete Rutland. And, and so was that a surprise and what was your reaction to that?
2: Ah, oh, I, I, was, I was extremely surprised because I was, I was approached by Pete on ANZAC Day last year and he said, oh, can I, I hadn't met Pete before then, I knew of him and then obviously seen his successes over time. Uh, I knew of his story and he came up and introduced and we had a bit of a chat and he said, hey, I've got a proposal for you. Um, Would you like to work with me and be an RSL Australia ambassador? And I was extremely honoured and tickled pink, to be honest with you, because the RSL is one of the, or is the oldest ESO out there and we have a very proud history. I think we got a little bit lost for a few years there, but certainly in the last three, four years, things are coming together and we're understanding how we need to be more relevant to our veterans and, more importantly, to their families. And I think, you know, everyone gets bad press now and then, but mm-hmm. what we have done is we've learned from that. Um, we've come together, we've regrouped. The states uh, have learnt as well, and I'm very proud to, you know, do work with RSL Queensland as well. So I think for me to actually share the developments that we have had was was a great opportunity because I am so proud to be a member of the RSL and every time I get a member to, you know, join up or bring them to an RSL or a commemorative event or even just march on Anzac Day for the very first time, for me there's no better um, reward than seeing that and saying, oh, my gosh, I had a great day. I met someone yesterday and it was his first um, commemorative service he's been to since coming back from Vietnam and he had a wonderful day and said, yeah. I'll be back on Anzac Day.
1: You speak about the RSL and there has been a rejuvenation led in various areas, which is noticeable to me, you know, running the magazine. And I think it's been welcomed by the community of Australia because it is the oldest, obviously established representation of veterans. And it's now having some success in incorporating younger people, notably yourself, into its regions and into its enacting of policy, if you like, and changing policy. So well done there. Mm. You're also a sporty person, I do believe, in the fluoro surfing. What's that about?
2: Yeah, well, I'm sporty when I'm not with an injury or something going (laughs) wrong with me. (laughs) We get around that. But, um, yes, the fluoro community is uh, a part of One Wave, which is a non-profit organisation founded in Bondi by by a gentleman called Grant. Um, He suffered from bipolar and had a had a um, severe breakdown one day. And he found that when he went surfing and talking to his mates about his mental health, it got him through another day and through another week. And he found himself really looking forward to connecting with people and telling his story while he was sitting out on the surfboard waiting for a wave. So I was a little bit lost after getting out of the military and wanted to give back to the community. I think that's one thing any defence member will tell you is that sense of service, you know, stays with you Throughout your lifetime. So I did a bit of Googling and then I got this email from just a random spam email talking about One Wave uh, and how that they were located on beaches all across Australia and even the world. Um, I think we've got, you know, 15 plus countries represented now. Yeah. So the aim is that we um, usually use. Usually on a Friday, but um, with us being on the border here and having different time zones uh, with New South Wales and Queensland, we meet up every single Saturday at Greenmount Beach and we get dressed up in fluoro and we basically all surf together as a small little community. Everyone's welcome. It doesn't matter if you're a surfer or not a surfer, if you just enjoy the ocean and, and um, the atmosphere, but whether it rain, hail or shine, uh, just supporting each other, creating that connection for the community. Um, which is really important. And COVID has certainly found that, um, you know, people being disconnected and feeling a bit lost, but they knew. We, we started an online one wave community, which is something that I was wanting to do for a long while when I couldn't get to the beach for, for different reasons. And then COVID happened. So we did that.
1: Cool. Um, and is it one wave? You said one wave?
2: One wave. Yeah, one <laughs> wave. One wave is all it takes. And, and the concept, obviously, is you need that one good wave, and it doesn't even have to be a good one, but one wave can change your whole outlook on your day. Yes, that's um, true, too. There's yeah. been plenty of times I've been out just for, for, you know, 30 minutes and caught that ripper of a wave, and you just go, wow, this is, this is awesome, you know, and you keep that smile on your face and you can see it. So we, we have a regular, about 20 people come down now every, uh, every Saturday, and it's amazing. And then popping up at different clubs like Bondi, uh, yeah. It's awesome.
1: Isn't that beautiful? Being a surfer myself, although I haven't been for too long, but I, I've got to get back into it. It's, as you say, you go out for a session and you count the waves. So it's one, I've got one, I've got two, I've got three, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's even, it's just being out there and having a good time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, so many times in the mornings, you know, I've gone out and that the, you know, there might not be any waves. It might be like a lake, but just sitting out there to see the sun popping up. And, you know, I often say to my daughters, I said, and they said, How was the step? I said, I didn't get away, but I saw the sun coming up on one side, the moon going down, and there's dolphins out the back. I mean, how much better can life get? I mean, and I just feel so grateful, so blessed to have that opportunity uh, to do that every single day.
1: Fantastic stuff. It is recommended too, as a health, both mentally and physically. It's a wonderful thing.
2: Absolutely. Tell us a little
1: bit about the um, partnership with RSL Queensland and, and the Gold Coast Suns, CJ. What's happened there?
2: Well, they started a partnership earlier in the year and it was launched on Anzac Day. Um, The Suns were gracious enough to host a whole heap of veterans uh, the day before Anzac Day to watch their Anzac round um, game against Brisbane. And it was just, I think, for them to respect or or acknowledge the service that our defence people have provided and their families. So it it was an amazing partnership. And I was fortunate to meet some of the players at the announcement, and they were just, you know, here we are in awe of the, the captain and the coach, and thinking they're really cool, and they had the similar respect. So it was quite funny to <laughs> to see that. Um, yeah. But it's a great partnership, and we get quite a few veterans to each game now, and sons are great to, to provide some tickets here and there, and when they get the opportunity. And yeah, it was it was an amazing experience to be a part of that that announcement.
1: Totally, totally. I think...
2: AFL tragic, anyway. Growing up in Adelaide. Um, you know, I always followed um, Adelaide crews, but now that I'm on the Gold Coast, I'm definitely son's the number one.
1: Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I'm from Adelaide. I was born in Adelaide too. We lived around Mitchum and Kingswood and that. Don't hate me, but Port Adelaide and Collingwood. So there you go. Oh,
2: dear. Yeah. <laughs> there <laughs> has to be some fault, right, Greg? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we've all got our problems.
3: <laughs> uh... That's for
1: sure. Look, um, Charissa Pierce, CJ to friends and those that uh, that know you, Thank you so much for being part of this wonderful interview chat as part of our inspirational Australian Women series. And yeah, we're so rapt to hear about what you're doing, the RSL's, what the RSL's doing, your history, your family's history, and um, we we honour you and, and thank you very much for what your community work.
2: Well, thank you very much for letting me be a part of this. It was a huge privilege for me. Thank you.
1: Totally enjoyable talking to Charissa Pierce, who everyone knows as CJ. CJ and I first came in contact through her involvement with our Inspirational Australian Women Series and it was a privilege to have Charissa CJ on The Last Post radio show.
0: As we mentioned in episode two, when we spoke to Christoph Gregoria... Chef extraordinaire from France and uh, his world food tours. He gave us a wonderful recipe for rhubarb wine, which is going down rather nicely, I might add, uh, if you don't mind, Greg. I'll just pour another one if you don't mind.
1: We've run out, mate.
0: Thank you. There you go. Ta. Where's mine? Uh, Pour your own. As I was saying, Christoph will be here toward the end of this, the third episode of the podcast to give you a wonderful recipe for truffle pancake. So, boys and girls, go and grab a pen. uh, Get your shorthand uh, typist to uh, take down some notes. You're going to love this. Toward the end of this episode, truffle pancake on the menu. Yum, yum.
1: Earlier this year, I had the pleasure of interviewing Heath Smith from GSA Management Consulting. Heath's uh, an interesting character, has an impeccable reputation for uh, delivering targeted business outcomes, and... They bring that expertise in management consulting to the veteran community with Heath Smith's and GSA Management Consulting's positive outcomes for veterans in finding them work. It's quite a unique way they go about this, but uh, here's my chat with Heath Smith from GSA Management Consulting, and I started off by asking Heath's vision of a successful transition for veterans.
4: Oh yeah, no, no worries, Greg. It's a, uh, that's a really good question. And there's no, there's no single answer to that. It's a really, it's a really individual and human endeavor really to transition your career. But it's probably for veterans and maybe other people like, uh, professional sports people and others, it's not just transitioning your career. In many ways, it's transitioning your life. And so, you know, what good looks like for one person is going to be really, really different to what it looks like to the next person. Um, for me, I think uh I was always pretty conscious of that fact that it wasn't just a change in job or a change in career, it was a change in life and even um in some in some ways identity, even though it shouldn't be. Yes. Um I think a lot of veterans draw a lot of their um sense of self from their service and the uniform that they wear and the things that they do when they're serving um, mm-hmm. and so if you can uh, if you can find or if you can either retain your sense of self just doing a different job or having a different career or in some cases you might need to adjust your sense of self and leave a little leave a few things behind but keep keep the core um, with you and move forward so for me it's you know a vision of a Of a successful transition is bringing, is bringing your whole life through the process, including your family, maybe even your friends and all that sort of thing and defining the way you're going to live now that you've changed, uh, what in some ways can be a small part of your life. You know, you're no longer, you're no longer working for one organization. You might be working for another one or retiring or whatever your situation is. But in, in other ways, it's such a fundamental shift that you need to be conscious of and manage yourself. Um, through. Well said. And I know that uh, GSA uh, Management Consulting are doing a lot of good
1: work in this area. And you've, I guess, more than partially answered what was going to be my next question in relation to this, Heath. Is, first of all, is there such a thing as transition stress? And I guess you've answered that partially. Uh, is there such a thing as veteran transition stress? The loss of identity, obviously. The camaraderie, etc, in the ADF I guess are there any other issues for veterans
4: associated with transition heath yeah, yeah, I think well, first part of your question is there is there such thing as transition stress absolutely one hundred percent I think uh, it's a real thing and um, and one that veterans especially transitioning veterans need to look squarely in the eye and understand that no matter. No matter how well it goes, it's going to be a stressful uh, period and a stressful process in your life because it changes so much in your life, and it raises questions that you might, might have never thought of. Um, you're you're faced with challenges that you've never been faced with before, and no matter how well it goes, it's stressful. So, I mean, people might look at my transition <clears throat> and uh, and and from the outside think, gee, that was a smooth transition um, and everything just worked out beautifully. But um, on the inside, and it did, I've been really lucky in my transition, um, worked really, really hard to sort of re-establish myself in a whole new new career and life. Um, That's what it looks like on the outside. But on the inside, heaps of stress and worry, concern, uncertainty, um, hard work and all that sort of thing. So I think no matter... How slight your transition might appear, it's going to be stressful, and people need to be aware of it and face the challenge and be open, be open to it, and all that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so so that's that's a good raising of issues there, Heath. And on the flip side of the coin, uh, with that uh, stress associated with transition from the ADF to civilian life, what are the things that you learned during your period with the
4: ADF that have assisted you in this transition? Oh, heaps, heaps. So it, that you can't help but pick up a whole range of skills a whole whole toolkit of skills that would help you with your transition um, if 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 you use them right um, i think I think a bit of a barrier for some veterans is uh, perhaps underestimating the significance of the transition and what it's going to mean to them and all that sort of thing and perhaps not using all those skills that you just naturally pick up through a, a career in service so transition a—it's a it's a it's a problem set, you know, like uh, veterans could think of it as a mission and break it down to its elements. You know, what's the end state that I'm trying to achieve? And so, therefore, what are the, what are the lines of effort that are going to get me from where I am now to where I want to be? And we're really good at, you know, breaking down problems into their elements and stepping right. through them one step at a time um, yep. if we think about it in the right way. And I think um, perhaps the challenge is understanding how to use those tools that, we inherently have as veterans because you can't help but develop them um but learning to apply them uh within your own transition for one thing but also in whatever it is that you go on to do um and I think that's one of the big challenges where where there are so many skills particularly planning you know veterans are really really good at planning and breaking down those problems into their elements and then working through them as I said Um, Sometimes when you're in a new environment, having transitioned from defence, it can be hard to bring those skills to bear just because you're put a bit off balance by a completely different environment. Even the little things, like you're no longer working within a strict hierarchical uh, environment and so the levers that you pull to get stuff done change or you need to pull levers different ways and just learn nuances of your new environment um, and understand understand what you can bring naturally and you don't need to adjust or change because it has a huge value in your new environment. have yep. Distinct things that you really need to adjust and, and change your approach to get the same impact or pull different levers, as I sort of say. Um, yeah, there's an art in that, isn't there? There's an art in that. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it surprised me uh, how much attention that required because – you get very well, you can get very comfortable um, with the skill sets that you've got as a veteran and applying them in a very familiar environment. And I think um, one of the keys to success is understanding what you can pull through directly versus where you need to adjust. Um, and all the principles are the same, um, but how you apply those skills and little slight nuances and how you present ideas and how you engage with people and all that sort of thing. Has to change because how you operate inside of the ADF. It's a very unique environment, um, and 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 you, and you learn a whole bunch of skills, but you've got to be able to apply them in a different in a different setting. It's kind of like sometimes I talk about the analogy of an athlete. You know, if you're playing one code of football, you're very fit, um, you've got endurance, you've got hand hand-eye coordination, and all that sort of thing. But if you change your football code. You've got to use those things in very different ways and be open open to learning and development and coaching and guidance yeah. um, and not, and not think well you know I was a superstar in my previous code um what can you tell me about this code you, you you've got to have respect and um, yeah, yeah. an understanding of your new environment yeah.
1: yeah yeah well said again because it's a it's a very uh, appropriate analogy, and um there will be a lot of school sets <coughs> that um you have which you have to use in different ways, that's for sure. Um, Heath, the um, veteran transition strategy was released by the federal government in September last year. But in many ways, you're ahead of the game. Just what what GSA Management Consulting, with veterans employment, what is your um, mantra? What do you actually do for veterans in this
4: area? Yeah, thanks, Greg. We... Um So we're, we're really, uh, we're really big on employing veterans because we value the skills that they bring. We're, uh, as a management consultancy, we're, we're at, we are always faced with difficult problems that are hard to solve. Um, not our clients don't bring in, uh, consultants to solve their easy problems. They, we we get bought in when they've had several attempts to solve a problem and the easy stuff isn't working. And so. It's a really neat fit for um, bright, intelligent, driven ADF veterans who've been faced with those sorts of problems um, through their whole career. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, it's no secret, we, we have an interest in, in hiring veterans because of the skills that they bring to our company and the results that they can deliver for our clients. Um, as a company, we've got that interest. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I and, all of the veterans and all of the non-veterans within GSA Management Consulting have a personal interest as well in helping people through their transition and finding a real positive career, um, second career, in most cases, after a really impressive um, first career as a as a military person. So it's mutually, mutually beneficial the skills that veterans bring um, in a consulting context, if they're able to adapt their skills to new. New and dynamic environments are just priceless and nothing gives us more pleasure than to um, support a veteran um, and help find their feet in this new profession, management consulting, that has a lot of linkages to what many people will have faced um, and, and, and achieved through their, through their service. And you mentioned there most uh,
1: strikingly the, the helping of veterans through what you do at GSA. I picked up in our previous conversation last year that it's a very personal a- attitude you have in the sense that everyone is different and it's best not to go in with the one thing covers all. You, you do look at the individual, don't you? G? and this is what brings out the best in the individual, I guess.
4: Yep, hundred percent. Yep, we're all we're all unique from each other, and everyone who's come through the door at GSA has got a different idea of what they want to do, <clears throat> what they want to achieve, mm-hmm. um, and one. One thing we're pretty big on is, uh, is rounding out skills and experience um, for the individuals. So to give them new, fresh um, experiences and, uh, and, and work environments to uh, really capitalize on the foundations that they've got within the ADF in new environments. Um, that's really valuable for the person. It's valuable for us as a company because when we're servicing clients, a veteran perspective is often fresh, new, and very, very welcome um, for our clients. Um, and on the other side of the coin, we we have some people who are just really, really interested in contributing back uh, within the defence context. They want to use the experiences that they've had inside of defence to continue to serve defence in a consulting context. And so, we don't say we don't say to people this is the path. To development here at GSA, we, we we talk to the person, understand their personal circumstances, their desires, um, and their ambitions, and their their interest in in different sectors, including defence, uh, um, state government, private sector work, and we we navigate that together, and we build a development path for each person. That goes for the sorts of work that they do and the sort of sectors that they operate in, but also their progression path as well. So unlike a lot of, uh, you know, big consultancies that might take a bit of a cookie-cutter approach that when you're at this level, this is the sort of work you do and this is a sort of contribution that we expect from you, we talk to the individuals and understand how quickly they want to move um, through, through their career and what sort of experiences they want to have, and we give them the opportunity to grow in the ways that are important to them. Um, thankfully, you know, we have a whole diverse range of needs as a company and so we're we're able to accommodate everybody's interests because we don't need we don't need another heath um or another anybody we only need one of everybody and when we put it into the mix we've got all bases covered so yeah it's a real individual approach um Another little thing—I'm not sure how unique we are in this regard—but we uh, we like to blend experiences as well because you know experiences in the defence environment are really valuable in other sectors and vice versa. Mm. So what the clients get is uh, is a whole range of different perspectives based on a really broad range of experiences from our people as individuals and as teams. I think there's there's limited value in a in a veteran. Um, being offered back into defence to provide the same sort of line of thinking and experiences as what their clients have got. There is value in that, don't get me wrong, but there's an additional value in somebody returning to defence who still has that foundational understanding. They know the organisation inside out, but, by the way, they've got all these other experiences in other sectors to bring fresh ideas and ways of doing things to the defence environment, and that that goes both ways. Um, a lot of our, a lot of our non-defense clients are fascinated with how defense solve similar problems, and and vice versa. And we think it's a really good mix for the person, for us as a company, and and most importantly, our clients.
1: That's that's important, and I guess on a broader scale, too important for not only the veterans but the whole Australian community. And enlightening and rewarding in so many ways to see GSA Management Consulting involved in this on such an intelligent level. So we do thank you very much, Heath Smith, for being part of uh, our radio show podcast, The Last Post, and uh, we do hope to catch up and, and have another chat in the near future. So thank you once again, Heath, for being
4: part of this magnificent uh, section. Uh, it's a pleasure, Greg. It's good to see you and uh, hope to catch up again soon.
1: Yeah, loved love my chat with Heath Smith, and there it is. They're doing enduring and good work at uh, GSA Management Consultants. Gary.
4: Hmm.
1: Are you feeling a little hungry?
0: Well, I thought you'd never ask. I've got a grumbling stomach over here, but I just hope that it's what I think it is, hunger pangs. What's on the menu? Mate, believe it or not, we've got some truffle pancakes, and I've already made a note myself, because I'm not
1: going to miss out on this opportunity, but truffle pancakes.
3: Christoph. I take this recipe because, look, you can take all the ingredients from your terroir, where you are, to make the filling. So the base will be, of course, three eggs, Per yes. person, okay, beat the eggs with a fork, not a whisk. A pinch of salt. Yep. A little knob of butter.
1: Yep.
3: Remember, that's a French recipe. We like butter. Yeah. And a tablespoon of cream, of course. Cream. Okay? Yep. Seasoning salt, pepper. Yep. Okay, after, you can choose the filling you like. For me, of course, I will add the truffle I've got from my truffier because truffle is always the best. Truffle inside, okay, and I will start to cook the omelette using a beautiful frying pan, a little bit of butter and a little bit of uh, olive oil mixed all together because if you put only butter, the butter will burn at 130 degrees.
1: I see. So the olive oil will save the butter from burning?
3: Or you can use clarified butter, which is... You can you can warm up to 180 degrees. It's up okay. to you. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Warm up to let's say 170, 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. Okay. And start to put to pour your whole omelet inside. Okay. Take the spatula and take all the edge already coagulated to the middle and leave the raw eggs to go to the edge again. Okay. Carefully. And leave the omelette, as we say in French, baveuse, not overcooked, not ah. dry, moist, baveuse. Okay?
1: okay, so never, never, never overcook the omelette, Christophe.
3: Never. Okay. So you can, after all the omelette, if you like, it's up to you, okay? And degust it with a beautiful glass of uh, whatever, French wine. Whatever. French
1: wine. <laughs> yeah, that, that's okay. a, I'll, I'll use that as an excuse to discover some French wine also, Christophe. But there you have it, listeners, um, a magnificent recipe for um, French omelettes with truffle. You, you're going to have truffle with yours.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I can use that.
1: <laughs> well, I'll have to do that too. I would recommend to listeners that they also go and get some truffle, not too much if you don't want to, but but certainly add that, as Christophe's just been through, La Trebon, the World Food Tours, Christophe and uh, Josephine, it's been a magnificent experience to meet and greet and exchange stories about what you're doing to improve the culinary education of Australians with some beautiful food. So, thank you so much.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you uh, to invite me. And it will be a pleasure to get you with us in the next tour.
0: Bonjour. <laughs> Bonjour. Well, that's enough to make you want to get out in the kitchen and rattle those pots and pans, Greg.
1: <laughs> well, I do like spending time in the kitchen. It's uh, it's a soul
0: building exercise for me. <laughs> Plus, I nibble away most of the food before it's on the table. Yeah, well, sometimes you've got to know what you're doing in the kitchen. Otherwise, you just slowly starve to death. <laughs> uh, with a glass of wine and the radio on, is perfect. Yeah, look, speaking about that, you know, I know that a lot of people uh, tend to uh, run for uber eats and have takeaway delivered and, and yep. you know eat out uh, and so on yep. maybe the art of culinary delights being produced in your own kitchen is something that's kind of waned off a little bit but if we could encourage people to uh, perhaps consider a little more pick up a recipe book the ingredients are always available yeah. uh, and you don't have to spend a lot of money to do your own cooking at home. That's right too, Gary, and another good reason to listen to the last post-radio show because we'll
1: be giving you recipes, some tasty recipes regularly. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Look, we've come to the end of another episode, Greg. It's time to uh, pack up the jam tins and uh, head off into the night. It's been a lot of fun, Gary. I'm going to set fire to my socks and head <laughs> off hot foot. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.